time traveller from last year landing in July 2020 might be forgiven for thinking she'd stumbled onto the set of a dystopian science fiction movie. And for good reason. Not since the last world war has a single event altered our way of life so dramatically in such a short space of time. From the onset of the COVID-19 crisis, Investec Focus has been documenting this seminal moment in a series of discussions with experts in a broad range of disciplines, all of which you can listen to in full in previous episodes of Investec Focus Radio. In this series, we shine the spotlight on a specific question that runs through these discussions. Will this surreal detour in human history lead to lasting changes in the way we live and work? how we think about money, or even the dynamics of global trade and the political economy. For many of us, the most immediate impact of the COVID-19 pandemic is the sudden shift from office to home, interacting with others in a digitally mediated virtual space. We've effectively been enrolled in a crash course in digital literacy. And this vast global experiment seems to have demonstrated that many kinds of work can be done effectively without requiring teams to be in the same physical space. This has far-reaching implications for how businesses operate. I'm Andrew Levy and I'm the uh, senior partner at Andrew Levy Employment. And we are a consultancy which specialises in uh, labour relations, labour law and labour market analysis. So uh, we are simple labour people. That's what we do. As a simple labour person, Andrew had a few simple yet weighty observations about what COVID-19 might mean for the workplace of the future. The old model of the worker who comes to work from nine to five and sits at his desk and does whatever he does is also going to disappear because employers are going to realise that they don't need to see their employees every single day. And when they need to meet with them, they can do it via electronic media which is usually much quicker and much more effective. And this means that work can be done from almost anywhere for knowledge workers and people like that. For Investex Global Head of People and Organisation, Dr Mark Kahn, the concept of flexible working is one which he's long espoused. Mark pointed out that by compelling us to work remotely, the lockdown has effectively forced us to question traditional assumptions about how work ought to be done. Flexible working will be so much easier. And you can see that the infrastructure for it, the mindset for it, the ability to work from home, to accommodate one's familial responsibilities with one's work responsibilities and balance those are going to be easier. It's creating a much greater integration between our home lives and our work lives. So from a diversity and inclusion point of view, I think it's very positive for the world. But before you get too attached to your newfound habit of attending every meeting in your comfiest pair of tracksuit bottoms, it's worth reflecting on the notion that some organisations are more conservative than others. We should also consider that our brains are programmed to extrapolate forward from our current circumstances. This point was well articulated by Dr Dan Crosby, behavioural finance expert and author of the New York Times best-selling book, The Behavioural Investor. In our June 4th episode on Focus Talks Radio, Dan spoke of a peculiar psychological trait. It's known as durability bias. 
which is the human tendency to project the present moment out into the future indefinitely and to think that the future will look a lot like the present. So what you have right now is a lot of think pieces and a lot of articles and a lot of prognostication saying, you know, the realities that we're currently experiencing, like work from home, will persist at their same levels into the future indefinitely. I don't think that's the case. I think the world will be forever changed by COVID-19, much the same way that air travel was perhaps changed by 9-11 and associated events. But what I don't think is that it will persist at the level or to the degree to which people think now. The future will probably look more like the past uh, than we think now. So I do think it will change, but I think it will change less than most people think today given how immersed we are in this particular situation. So, while the pendulum may indeed swing back towards pre-COVID norms, Dan concedes that the world of work will indeed differ from the one we left behind in our open-plan offices. A recent conference board survey in the US reported that over three-quarters of American HR managers said that they expect significantly more employees to work from home for at least three days a week, even after a vaccine for COVID-19 has been found. And this evolution in the way that teams operate will likely also see a change in the way we measure employee value. It should be fairly obvious by now that time spent in the office is an outmoded performance metric, particularly as we see individuals and teams delivering results regardless of their location. But looking ahead to employees working happily and effectively from coffee shops and beach kiosks We shouldn't ignore the contrasting spectre of new surveillance technologies and the possibility of a more Orwellian future. Here's Andrew Levy on the darker implications of remote work. We're going to have to find ways to ensure that we can monitor both output and performance in terms of the quality standard and also the numbers, the productivity of workers who are no longer under your immediate supervision. And I've no doubt that in point of fact, we are going to find electronic means of monitoring, which are much more invasive, much more effective than the boss occasionally casting his eyeball over acres of workers. There are going to be obvious issues which will be raised in terms of personal freedoms and privacy and electronic surveillance, which is going to be quite oppressive, I think, in many respects. So... Is 2024 likely to look like Orwell's 1984? It's a plausible scenario, at least in cases where employers are unwilling to depart from top-down control structures. But it's by no means inevitable. Investec's head of careers, Nicola Tager, believes that bringing the best out of people under remote working conditions, at least in her own organisation, requires a more fluid working environment and a more human approach. This in stark contrast to the more mechanistic, algorithm-led approach that some organisations may choose to adopt. I think it's requiring a different leadership style than we've naturally always seen, which has been around driving this high level of performance, high level of activity and efficiency, to a far softer approach at times around really understanding the context that people are finding themselves within and allowing us to see a lot of patience and a lot of empathy from the leaders in the organisation. And some are doing it exceptionally well, and at other times we're seeing leaders battle. So leaders that like quite a lot of control or leadership style that likes to micromanage, I think they're really battling with understanding what true value is going to mean during this period of time as well. 
So we're going to need to think differently, not only about how we measure the value of work, but also how we reward it. And along with new ways of compensating workers, companies will undoubtedly be reviewing another significant overhead, the rent. Here's Andrew Levy again. We're going to have to rethink on an evolutionary basis the way in which we not only assess performance, but the way in which we reward performance. So I think we're probably going to become far more output-based in terms of determining wages. But employers will certainly find it easier to get what they pay for. They will also find, of course, that they don't need such large premises any longer. Uh, They don't need to pay rent so much. With companies waking up to the fact that employees no longer need to be in an office all day, one naturally wonders about the future of commercial real estate, particularly as companies seek to cut costs in the wake of the lockdown. Investex former CEO Stephen Kosseth had an interesting take on this. We might well be seeing fewer people in the office, but social distancing is likely to be around for some time, and this has countervailing implications for office space requirements. A lot of firms were already going in that kind of direction where not everyone has their desk. We use uh, neighbourhoods or what we call hot desking, so we use a lot less space. But with social distancing, you're going to have more space. You can't cram people into eight square metres. So I think there will be a lot of people say that I need big offices. And then there will also be people who say, I need big offices, but we need more space per head. So we end up somewhere where we were before. So perhaps it's not all doom and gloom for the commercial real estate sector. The durability bias raises its head here too. I think that this durability bias applies to commercial real estate. Right now, commercial REITs are wrecked because the consensus opinion is that, well, everyone's just going to work from home. Everyone's just going to Zoom call for the rest of eternity. I think that's overstated. This is Dan Crosby again. Have we also discovered that many people work perfectly well from home? Um, yes, I think we have discovered that. So I think it will change the, uh, the office landscape, but I doubt that it will change it to the degree that we now think that it will. Human beings are social creatures. There is a lot that gets accomplished face-to-face, elbow-to-elbow, that is hard to convey over a screen. And so I think that it will be impacted, no doubt. But I imagine that the impact will be less than we think it is today. But it's not just about whether our current workforce will return to the office or stay at home. COVID, more than anything else, is going to fuel or accelerate the rate of outsourcing, of working from home, of getting labour inputs from anywhere around the globe. That was Andrew Levy. Investex Nicola Tega picked up on this too, adding that in addition to expanding the pool of prospects when it comes to hiring, the possibility of remote work also challenges traditional ways of thinking about jobs and vacancies. We've always thought of a job market in a very local way. And based on the fact that we now understand how remote organisations can operate, I think we'll be able to hire people across the world. So the spaces that you'll look for skills will be totally different. The second thing in the recruitment front that I think will be changed forever is our definition of capacity. When we think about human resource and the capacity it brings to organisations, we think in a very linear way around recruiting permanent individuals into permanent jobs. And I think this will force us to leapfrog all of that research that's been happening and to really think in a way that we understand our own internal capability, we can match them to pieces of work, 
which of course brings to mind the much-blogged-about shift to a so-called gig economy, a trend towards short-term, on-demand work that was taking hold even before the Covid crisis. But gig workers have been among the hardest hit by the coronavirus pandemic, as most didn't have the safety nets of unemployment benefits, health insurance or sick leave. We asked Mark Kahn whether Covid could indeed have the effect of deterring rather than accelerating the trend, as more workers seek the safety of permanent employment. We were on track for the gig economy to disrupt the way we contract people for work anyway. The trajectory in the US was to 20-25% by the mid-2020s in the gig economy. Now, all that COVID is going to do is going to accelerate that trajectory anyway. A, because there's going to be these layoffs around the world because we're already seeing unemployment moving and it's going to just kick up. And what are these people going to do? They're going to, some of them are going to go and be sole proprietors. They're going to sell their labor in gig ways. Companies are going to be reticent to re-employ quickly. So it's just going to accelerate that. So that's A. So the boundaries between what is a company inside and what is a company outside in terms of its people are already changing and now COVID accelerated. Plus, we see the idea of a community of business, this was my other point, coming together to make a difference in the world. And we've not seen it as strongly as we see it now. So we start to no longer see companies as necessarily competing with each other as aggressively, but also they compete commercially, but they also collaborate in a social way to come together. Plus there's the gig, and then you have Gen Z and the millennials and all of that. We have this workforce that insists that you participate in a particular way, and they can kind of sell their wares wherever they want. And then I added that we're busy with the internal gig strategy, which is that even inside the company, you could work in four different areas, not just one. So you put that all together, the boundary system for the future is absolutely permeable. While the gig economy might be a boon for many who prefer more flexible work arrangements, it also brings with it the more sobering prospect of a shrinking market for full-time labour as companies look to limit their overheads. Employers will learn that they can run their businesses on a much leaner labour force and employers are notoriously loath to rehire if they can avoid it. And because they are running in some cases on greatly reduced numbers of people and getting by is going to dampen down demand for labour. While the prospect of increased outsourcing and reduced demand for full-time corporate jobs may look terrifying to some, renowned scenario planner Clem Sunter is more sanguine. Sunter spent most of his working life at Anglo-American Corporation, one of the world's largest employers in the labour-intensive mining sector. But with AI and digital automation displacing jobs in this and similar industries, Mr Sunter sees a new generation of professionals realising that the future belongs not to corporate employees, but rather to entrepreneurs. The industry I worked in, the mining industry, we had 600,000 people in the gold mines. You know, we had these huge, huge industries. But unfortunately, the world of work has changed. We have artificial intelligence, we have robots. And of course, now with the coronavirus, we're going to have social distancing and lots of other things to try and reduce the density of our workforces. So where are people going to be employed? And to me, it's in medium-sized and small business. It's going to be an innovation. It's why Americans, before the pandemic struck, had an unemployment rate round about sort of three and a half percent, whereas Europe was sitting at 
6 to 10%, depending on the country. And it's all to do with the fact that America has been a much more resilient country. It's also younger. On his home continent of Africa, Mr Sunter had this to say, and one can easily extrapolate the insight to emerging markets in general. Africa is a very young continent. And so what's going to save Africa is innovation and the growth of medium-sized and small business. And yes, you will still need the large businesses. You'll still need the infrastructure, the electricity and other things. But the major contributor to employment will be entrepreneurs. So, as we emerge from our homes to occupy public workspaces once more, will we perhaps be a little more confident in our own resourcefulness? Could it be that the months of holding down jobs and running business while also doing the cooking and cleaning and educating our children has left us that much more resilient? Our time traveller might notice people going about their business with a heightened trust in the judgment of their peers and employees and a willingness to venture down new and unexplored paths. Perhaps we may be about to witness a new Cambrian age of entrepreneurship and innovation. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to rate us and to subscribe to Investec Focus Radio wherever you get your podcasts. And look out for part two of our series, Preparing for a Post-COVID World, where we explore how the crisis is changing the investment landscape. <laughs>